0: Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? All right. My name is Preston. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at ABT. If we have not met, I'll be down after the service down here to pray with those, answer any questions, and if you're a guest, please come down. I'd love to connect with you and meet you. Well, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount since the end of May. The end of May, we began working through the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we began a new mini series called Anti Up. Everybody say Anti Up. As is hinted at in this name, this is a series about money. From Matthew 6, verse 19 through Matthew 6, 34, Jesus talks to his listeners about the way they should view money and possessions in light of their relationship with him. So last week, because we knew we were going to talk about money, Pastor Ron opened us up with a message about why Christians don't give, just based off of statistics. And this week, we're now going to jump in and look at what Jesus had to say about this in verses 19 to 24. And then next week, we'll look at what he has to say in verses 25 to 34. But before we begin, I have to put a disclaimer out there. Okay, you guys ready? That's when you can say yes. You guys ready? Okay, good. Here's the disclaimer. Money is not evil. Possessions are not evil. Wealth in general is not evil. I just want to make this abundantly clear as we talk about this. If I had a dollar bill, I'd pull it out and just let you see. It. The money itself is not evil. And we know this because uh, Paul expects men to make enough money to provide for their family. 1 Timothy 5 eight. but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that's pretty intense. You better make enough money to provide for your family. Uh, Secondly, Paul talks about rich people at the end of this letter in chapter 6. And guess what? He talks about rich people, and he doesn't say anything is bad about their money. Notice what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, Also, if we go into the Old Testament, the Proverbs teach that a good person has enough money that they're able to leave an inheritance for generations to come. Notice Proverbs 13, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Also, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about people who have wealth, and he refers to it as a gift from God. Notice Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 and 19. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to what? Enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So money is not evil. Money is not evil. And I know, I hope, hopefully, this is just a reminder. This is not news to you guys. You guys know that money is not evil, but what's evil? There we go. The love of money is evil. I only heard uh, half the crowd say it. So, can everyone read that bold sentence to your neighbor? Ready? Go. <laughs> of money is evil. First Timothy 6:10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. It's the loving of money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, we don't have to think very long or hard to think of examples of people who have ruined their faith or their life because of their love for money. Amen. We can think of plenty pretty quickly. For example, how many of you guys know the story of Achan in the book of Joshua? For, this is a reminder for some, but for those of you who don't know, the, the people of Israel, they're working their way through um, uh, the wilderness and traveling to the promised land, and they're gonna battle different countries along the way. And the first country is Jericho. And God tells them, hey, you're gonna win this battle, but when you do, I don't want you to keep anything. I don't want you to take any idols. I don't want you to take money. I don't want you to, I don't want you to take anything. Devote it all to destruction to me. But... What happens? We learn in, Acts, or not Acts, but Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, that Achan saw an expensive piece of clothing that he liked. He saw 200 pieces of silver and a bar of gold. And so rather than devote that to destruction, he took it for himself. He disobeyed God and took it with him. And that decision cost him his life and his families. King Solomon, for as wise as he was, his downfall was his love for not only money, or excuse me, not only women, but also money. Judas, why did he betray Jesus? His love for money. He goes, and Matthew even highlights it. He goes to the chief priest and he says, what will you give me if I give you Jesus? And they end up telling him the money amount. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to God about their money and it cost them their life. Big name pastors in recent years, they keep falling because of money. Many of you guys, you hear stories of certain big name pastors and they fall and Many times they fall for sexual morality, But if you've ever saw a story of a big name pastor um, being removed and you're reading the article and it just doesn't make sense, you're like what, like, what really happened? Nine times out of 10, it's a financial scandal. They were caught and the church doesn't want to expose that. So then they, you know, mask it and something. But it's a money issue. The love of money is evil. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money. Now, why is this the case? Why is loving money evil? It's evil because as a Christ follower, for those of you in here who are Christians, you are called to love God and you're called to love your neighbor. You are not called to love your money. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus says, this is the great command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So every command God has ever given ultimately hangs. It depends on fulfilling one of those two things. You have, if we could, we could say, love God is one bar. And then we got love others. That's another one. And then you just start listing off commands, hanging from it. Every command is done to to fulfill one of those two commands. So when you love your money versus God or your neighbor, you're doing something that's evil. In fact, if you love your money, you're proving that you don't love God. First John two fifteen. do not love the world or the things in the world. By the way, money is something of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So to be clear, money is not evil. But loving money is evil. Is everybody tracking with me? Good. I appreciate that you guys responded the first time there. Here we go. You guys have (laughs) learned. So now that that's clear, we've created a problem. We've created a problem because this is a sticky situation we have to balance now. On the one hand, we're told money is not evil. In fact, if you have it, enjoy it, it's a gift from God. But on the other hand, we're told don't enjoy it too much because if you enjoy it too much, then you love it, and then you love money, you don't love God. So how do we balance this? How do we balance enjoying money or possessions that God gives you but not loving it? And to be honest with you, actually, as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Our church is so solid. So many people, you know what they're going to say when I say it? They're going to say, That's an easy question, Preston. It's all about perspective. If you have the money, thank you, Jesus. If you don't have the money, thank you, Jesus. Okay? (laughs) And you know what? You're right. I would agree with you. It's about your perspective. It's about your heart, right? We went over that a few series ago. Kingdom hearts, your heart is what matters. You either enjoy it or you love it. You need to enjoy it, but you need not to love it. You need not make it an idol. And so... I agree with that statement that I think pretty much every one of us would agree on, we would say. But here's my problem. I think the line between enjoying and loving is very thin. The line between enjoying and loving is very thin. So I think a much more applicable question to you and me would be to ask this how do I know if I've crossed the line? How do I know if I've crossed the line between just enjoying it as a gift from God and using it for his glory to all of a sudden it's turned into something I love, it's turned into an idol? That's the question I wanna answer this morning. In fact, that's the question I think the text we're gonna look at this morning answers. This morning, as we look at Matthew 6, 19 through 24, I wanna give you a three-question quiz To help you know whether you've crossed the line or not. As we look at Matthew 6, 19 through 24, I wanna give you a three question quiz to know whether you've crossed the line or not. So as we look at the text, I'm gonna provide three questions that I think serve as an outline of Jesus' flow of thought. And ultimately, it's gonna help us know whether we've crossed the line or not as it relates to enjoying our money or loving our money. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to read through verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be able to gather here together today. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to study your word and learn more about you, learn what you think about money, which is such a big part of our lives. Father, I pray that you'd bless this time. I pray that you'd remove all distractions and that we'd be able to focus on you for just 20 to 30 minutes. And we'd be able to understand what your word says. And we'd be able to leave here changed because your word is living and active. So please, Father, move in this room. Give me clarity of thoughts and help us be able to study your word faithfully together. Exalt yourself in this time, humble us, and help us all leave here with a better perspective of what our relationship should look like with you as it relates to our money. We love you in Jesus' name, pray, amen. Okay, so we know money is not evil. If we have it, it's meant to be a gift to be enjoyed, but it's never meant to be loved. Loving money is the root of all kinds of evil. So how do we know if we've crossed the line? We have a three-question quiz that we're about to take, and the first question is this. Where are you stocking up treasure? Where are you stocking up treasure? Go ahead and look with me at verse 19. Notice what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, let's pause right there. At first glance, I think we would all agree that this command seems impossible to keep. How are we to live a life that doesn't lay up or build up earthly treasures, right? Like, if you have a car, treasure. If you have a house, treasure. If you have nice clothes, treasure. So is Jesus commanding us to not have a car, house, or clothes? Is he saying go be naked and homeless? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. And I don't think that's what he's saying for two reasons. Number one, if you remember what we said earlier, uh, God expects a man to provide for his family. He expects a wise man to leave an inheritance for his family. He expe- expects a wealthy person, which is all of us, by the way. If you, can, if you study the rest of the world and see what's going on, every single one of us are wealthy. He expects us to use our money generously for his kingdom's sake and enjoy it as a gift. So anyways, I don't think he's calling us to go be naked and homeless for that reason and for the second reason. Number two, the Greek text of this verse is very helpful in understanding what Jesus is saying here. If we were to translate this phrase word for word, it actually would say this, not treasure you treasures. So treasure not your treasures. Jesus is using a play on words because the Greek word translated as treasure can mean treasure or store up. So what he's saying is do not store up up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not store up treasures on earth, but what should you do? You should store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Why should I do that? For where your treasure is, where you're stocking it up, there your heart will be also." So, if you want to know whether you've crossed the line and have begun to love your money over enjoy it, you need to ask yourself, where are you stocking up treasure? Now, for me to pose that question, that means I'm assuming you realize that you can stock up treasure on earth. Yes, I think we all get that. But then secondly, that everyone in here realizes you can stock up treasure in heaven, you guys realize that? You can stock up treasure in heaven. And I imagine most of us have never really thought about that. We think to ourselves, well, you know, like um, our, our treasure is Jesus. Hey, and certainly that is the case. Jesus is the ultimate prize possession that is coming for us. But it's also certainly true that God in his amazing grace, even though we're terrible sinners who don't deserve to go to heaven, but only because of his grace and what he did on the cross, we get to go to heaven. On top of that, if you live a faithful life, he gives you additional rewards. Let me just show that to you. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God gives rewards to his people, and he gives rewards for various reasons. Uh, Number one. So here's a list for you. What do people get treasures for? Number one, suffering for Jesus. I'm just gonna give a list of things that Jesus talks about treasure or rewards coming just in the Sermon on the Mount alone, and then we'll go outside of that. So in the Sermon on the Mount alone, he says, number one, for suffering for him. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Number two, people get rewards for loving their enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? As in, if you love your enemy, you do get a reward. Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Number three, you get rewards for giving to the needy. Matthew six, two to four. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received the reward. What's their reward? The reward is people thinking highly of them. But notice what he says to his disciples. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Treasure is coming. Also, we get rewarded for offering genuine prayers. Matthew 6, 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. What's their reward? People thinking, wow, that person prays so good. But what, what does he say to his disciples? But well, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He also says people will be rewarded for fasting in secret. Not the kind of fasting that goes around and someone says, hey, you want to go get lunch? Oh, sorry, I can't get lunch today. Fasting. <laughs> hey, man, you're losing weight. now? just fasting today. No, but fasting in secret. Notice what he says, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. When people say, man, What a godly person. That's their reward. But notice what he offers to his disciples. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, outside of the Sermon on the Mount, we also see this in several places as well. We see that you are going to be rewarded for honoring those in ministry as well as just other Christians who bear the name of Christ. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Just because this person in ministry that God has sent, you receive them and you, you honor them, guess what? You're going to get the same reward they would get. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, because he's a Christian, truly I say to you, he'll by no means lose his reward. So notice, just, because, just for honoring a person who's uh, in the faith, for someone who's serving ministry, you'll be building up rewards for yourself. And also, uh, number seven, you get treasure for using your wealth to be generous. Notice what Paul says. We went over this earlier, but just notice again what he says. Talking about rich people, he says they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. And what does that do? They store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So is this not amazing? Is this not amazing to think about the fact that it's not just like, number one, we don't deserve to go to heaven. Like, does everyone realize that? Say amen if you realize that. You don't deserve to go to heaven, but God in his grace says, hey, you know what? I want a relationship with you. So he comes, he pursues you. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross, raises again, says, hey, believe me, start pursuing me. Um, I'm going to give you my righteousness. But then after giving us his righteousness, he then says, I'm going to reward you for living out that righteousness. That's insane. That literally makes no sense. Like, man, what a gracious God that we do not deserve. But here's another question. Okay, so if it's abundantly clear that I get treasure in heaven, or at least this is a possibility, what kind of treasure are we talking about? Right? Like, you know, like, what is this treasure going to be? If I can stock it up, what is it? And here we go. We're talking houses, family, land, and authority in God's kingdom. We're talking houses, family, land, and authority in God's kingdom. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 19:28 through 29. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now notice he then also in Matthew 25 through 21, he gives this parable of what the kingdom of heaven is like and he compares it to a taskmaster who leaves people with so many gifts, so many jobs to do. And uh, he gives it, does that for three people, but two of them actually do what they're supposed to do. And he rewards them, but notice the way he rewards them. This is the same statement said in both situations. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So now they have this idea that they're gonna be given authority because Jesus then says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. God gives you a job here right now. You're faithful to that. In the coming kingdom, he'll give you more. There's rewards coming. So me having explained all that, I don't want you to miss the point. You can either use the money and the resources that God has given you here on earth to stock up treasure here on earth, or you can use the money and the resources God has given you to give to the poor, to be generous with others, to honor those in ministry, to honor other Christians in general, as we read about earlier, and thus stock up treasure for yourself in heaven. Hey, which one is you? Which one are you? Are you stocking up treasure here on earth, building this wonderful kingdom? Or are you stocking up treasure in heaven? Now, I want you just to try to imagine this. I, as I was thinking about this this past week, I, I tend to try to like, picture things, what it will be like, so I can like, get a, a good idea. And uh, I actually was talking about this with the gathering this week on Thursday as we're going through the book of Revelation, so maybe God wants one of you to hear this again. So one of you needs to get right with the Lord. Uh, but anyways, so it also is applicable for all of us. Um, I want you guys just to imagine if what we're saying is true, Picture in your mind that in the coming kingdom, if you have been forgiven of your sin and you've lived a faithful life, you're going to enter into heaven and be given rewards. But also what this means is those who are unfaithful with what they're given are gonna enter into heaven and have nothing. They have Jesus, praise God, but they have nothing. Now, just think about, like, the priorities, right? Like, I think about all the time in a, in a different way. I usually always think to myself, man, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand. When I see God face-to-face, I'm going to be thinking to myself, oh, my goodness. I cannot believe I ever thought sin was worth more than him. I, I think about it because I just, we don't get it. Like, none of us do. When we see the God of the universe, oh, my goodness, we're going to be falling on our faces and realize, I cannot believe I ever thought those other things were worth it. But now, I'll relate that to this when we realize the type of treasure that's available for not 80 years, 90 years, whatever, however long you live, 100 years, you're so old. Like, (laughs) sorry, Um, (laughs) gotta remember my audience. Uh, (laughs) But you step into eternity and you realize you worked so hard to build up treasure on this earth and you realize, wow, I had a 3,000 square foot house. And then you go into heaven and you have a coat closet. Man, you really, you really played your cards right. Because you thought, man, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna skip church because I just gotta get this promotion, I gotta get this amount of money, and I'm gonna have a house, I'm gonna provide for my family, it's gonna be great. And you wasted your life. Because when you go into eternity and the person who spent his time stocking up treasure in heaven, man, he's got this massive mansion. And you are like, hey guys, it's going to go to my closet and you're going to go, you might not even have a bed, you're just going to like sit there. You know? You're going to be like Harry Potter, you know, like under the staircase. <laughs> like we're, we're just, I just think we don't understand when we realize what's coming. We're going to be thinking to ourselves, I can't believe I thought a car was worth it. I can't believe I thought a house was more valuable than this. I can't believe I thought you fill in the blank, of whatever it is that you think is more valuable than stocking up treasure in heaven. Church, there are treasures to be received in heaven. Don't stock up treasures here, but stock up treasures in heaven. Rather than spending your life thinking about how to build your retirement or buy another property or buy new clothes, think about ways that God says you can build up treasure in heaven and pursue that. Now, before we move on from this point, I know that probably all of us, if you're anything like me, we will hear this, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, got it, okay, I'm still going to try to build my kingdom here, but I'm going to mask it under the guise of, this is for ministry. This is for God. I got, you know, I have to do this, you know? So like, I'm going to have this. Like, for example, uh, Pastor Ron was bringing up last week, Kenneth Copeland, like that guy literally looks satanic, but whatever. And I don't know why anyone listens to him, but literally he even says he has his private jets because that is how he does ministry. He needs them, okay? Here's what I want to do, because I don't think, that may sound crazy, but I don't think we're too far from that. I think many of us do the same thing. You get what, but but you just can't afford a private jet. So you laugh at that. But the things that, where you stock up treasure here for yourself, you try to pretend that, oh, well, this is for ministry, this is for God, this is for. And here's what I wanna do. I just wanted to offer a warning because I know that many of us are tempted to do that. Here's the warning. Your job is not to convince other people that you're using your resources for God. Rather, your job is to convince God that you're using the resources he gave you for him. Your job's not to convince another person. Your job is to convince God. Now, I use the term convince loosely because he already knows. But when you think about this, don't sit there and get mad and try to justify to me. Don't try to justify, well, no, 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 like this is just, this is, I, I know this seems kind of excessive, but like it's for, hey, you don't got to explain that to me. You got to convince God. And here's where I'm getting this warning. Just so you know, every single one of you will give an account for everything you've done. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 to 15. Notice what Paul says. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, it will become obvious. For the day, the judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though or through fire. Now I want you just to seriously, like just think about this, like imagine like this is real. There's coming a day. If we took the time to study this whole context, which you don't, but the foundation is Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. If you're a Christian, then you step onto that foundation for your life and the rest of your life, you're building on top of that. Everything you do uh, symbolically is an act that is building on top of that. And you're either building with righteous deeds, which can be considered gold, silver, precious stones, or you're doing unrighteous things, which is where you're building with wood, hay, straw. And what he's saying is, on Judgment Day, every single one of us, the life you've lived, everything you've done, including what you did with your material possessions, will be right there. And when the fire hits it, what's left will disclose what was actually genuinely righteous. What was actually genuinely done for the Lord. There is no hiding. You may try to convince everyone else, well, I know I, know I have this you know, $5 million house, but it's for the Lord. Okay? Whatever, maybe, maybe it is. But you will have to convince God of that, not another person. And so as we think about this point, just want you to realize you can either stockpile treasure here on this earth or you can stockpile treasure in heaven. And the question you have to ask yourself to know whether you've crossed the line or not is look at your life where am I stocking up treasure? When you look at your life, can you even say you actually think about stocking up treasure in heaven? But guess what? You can tell me all the ways I can save my 401k. You can tell me all the ways I can build a better retirement, all the ways I can get rich fast. Here's the 10 tips. But you can't tell me two verses on how to earn treasure in heaven. You've missed the point. You've missed the mark. First question to know, whether you've crossed the line or not, is where are you stocking up treasure? Evaluate where you're stocking up treasure. Question number two, how do you view situations in life? How do you view situations in life? Look with me at verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, at first, I know many of you, you, might be seeing that, and you're like, man, that's really confusing. What in the world is he saying? But it's really not. Trust me. Just think about this. He's using an illustration to continue his train of thought. In the verse we just went over, verses we just went over, he was talking about what? Money. Then there's this illustration, and then immediately after that, he talks about money again in verse 24. This passage or this illustration is about money. A helpful way to think about this illustration is to think about a window, A window allows light from the outside of a building to go to the inside of the building. The quality of the light is based off how clean and clear the window is. If the window is tinted or filthy, well, then the light coming into the room will be spotty and dim. But if the window is clean, then the light coming in the room will be great. It'll actually fill up the room. Okay, your eye is the lamp or the window by which light comes into your body. If your eye is dirty or has a tint over it, then your ability to see things in life will be limited. Remember, this is an illustration about money. So when you think about that, what Jesus is saying is, if your vision is on money, not on God, then your ability to see will be tainted, it'll be distorted, it'll be ruined the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy if your eyes are on God if you're thinking about him and his kingdom then your whole body will be full of light you'll see situations clear in life you'll understand them but if your eye is bad if your eye is on money your whole body will be full of darkness you won't be seeing things clearly if the light in you is darkness if the area that you're supposed to see things clearly is darkness well then how great is the darkness how confused will you be so let me ask you how's your vision how do you view situations in life? Do you, here we go. Do you see things through how it will affect your bank account or do you see things through how it will affect your relationship with God? Like, how do you view things? Like, think about this just for a couple things. When you think about tithing, if you're thinking about money in your bank account, then who wants to tithe? I don't want to give 10% of anything consistently or whatever if you don't want to say 10% because you're worried about that. Whatever percentage you say. I don't want to ever give a perpetual percentage of my money away if I'm thinking about my bank account. But if I'm thinking about my relationship with God, then I'm thinking to myself, God has given me everything I have. Every resource, every dollar, the least I could do is give a percentage back. The least I could do is give a percentage back. What about helping someone in need? If you view helping someone in need through the lens of your bank account, then you'll never wanna help people. Why? Because most of us are selfish, we don't wanna lose money. And secondly, most of us are rude and we say, I don't wanna help that person. They probably got themselves in that way, in that position anyways, because they made bad choices. How many of you guys say that? It's my dad. My dad will say something, something dumb like that. i will be like, I don't help the people inside the road because they did that to themselves. Hey, you know what I'm thinking? When I think about my relationship with God, praise God that he does not leave me like that. Praise God, because you know what? I have done some stupid things many times in my life, and thankfully God didn't say, well, Preston, <laughs> idiot, you did that yourself. Man, praise God, he doesn't treat me like that. If I'm thinking about my bank account, then I'm gonna think like that. But if I'm thinking about my relationship with God, then I'm thinking, how can I be generous to other people? Because God has been generous to me. When we view things through the lens of money, it messes up our view of everything else. We're not able to see clearly. Think about some of the things that might happen here at church. A mission trip is announced. We say, hey, we're going to Guatemala. Hey, we're going to Nepal. Hey, we're going wherever. And your first thought is, man, I wonder how much that's gonna cost. Instead of saying, wow, praise God, we're going to live out the Great Commission. We're going to go into all nations preaching the word. But instead, that's not your thought. Your thought is, how much money are they going to do that? Now I tithe here, don't I? Don't, can't they just pay for this trip for me? What about this? Your junior high or middle schooler comes home from telling you, hey, we got a retreat coming up. This is going to be so awesome. And your first thought is, how much money is it? Instead of thinking, wow, praise God, this is going to be a great opportunity for my son, for my daughter, to build relationships with other kids their age and for them to grow in their relationship with God. Instead of thinking that, you're thinking about how much it costs to go. How about you come here to church? We start talking about money. Instead of thinking, praise God, I want to hear a biblical perspective on how I can honor God with my money. Instead of that, you're, you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're like, this is a personal matter, don't be talking me about my money. <laughs> When we view things through the lens of money, it messes up our view of everything else. We're not able to see clearly. When we view things through the uh, the lens of our relationship with God, it gives us clear vision of everything. Okay, so in order to determine if we've crossed the line between enjoying and loving uh, our money, we should ask these three questions. We've gone over the first two. Now for the last one. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, this final section is obviously about serving. It begins with the word serve, and it ends with the word serve. It's about serving, and it's not talking about serving as in serving in church, which, by the way, if you're not serving, shame on you. Start serving, okay? Go in the back, serve in the nursery, serve in the bus ministry, serve in the high school ministry, serve on the guest experience team. Those things are great. You need to serve. But that's not what this is talking about. This is saying, ultimately, all of us serve one of two masters, And who are the two masters? You're either serving God or money. Which master are you serving? Because it cannot be both. Are you serving God with your money or is your money using you? As you think about who you want to serve, I just want you to consider what each master has done for you. Hey, let me ask you something. What has money done for you? If we were to make money a person, maybe you could say money has bought you a house, money has put clothes on your back, money has what? What has God done for you? By the way, I would say God provided all that money, first off. But secondly, God paid your debt that you could never pay. Every single one of us need to go through financial peace because every single one of us have mad debt. But our mad debt is not with a bank. Our mad debt is with God. Our financial peace is Jesus. We have accumulated a debt so large with our sin. We would never, ever pay that off. But the God of the universe came here and it says he ransomed us. He redeemed us. He paid the debt. When he poured out his blood, he paid the debt you accumulated that separated you from God. That master is good. The master of money sucks. Okay, Money can do nothing. Money is useless. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. As he said earlier, it can rot. It can be stolen. But your salvation with the Lord, no one can take that from you. Because no one is greater than that master, Jesus. So who are you going to serve? Are you going to let your possessions lead you to do what they want you to do? Or are you going to view everything through how your relationship with God is meant to be? One commentator put it this way. He says, who owns your possessions? The Lord Jesus Christ tells us that either God owns them and you serve him, or else your possessions own you and you serve them. Which one is it? My open prayer for anyone in here who maybe has never began a relationship with Jesus, I hope and prayer is that you would begin one. That today you would decide, I'm going to actually follow Jesus. He's made it possible to pay my debt. I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. If you want to learn how to do that, come down front at prayer time. We'll talk to you about it. But for the rest of you who maybe are a Christian already, my hope is that you won't miss the main point. The main point of all this that Jesus is getting at is that your money should not be a hindrance to your relationship with him. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. He's setting the stage. These are who my disciples are going to be. And what he's calling them to at this point is, I want you to be a fully devoted follower of me that money does not get in the way. You can either go serve money or you can follow me. Think about the rich young ruler. Jesus does not compromise on this stuff. The rich man came to Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, blank, blank, blank. He says, hey, I've done that. He says, hey, one more thing. Go sell everything and follow me. Now, just just so you know, is Jesus calling all of us to sell all of our possessions? No, think about all the disciples he had that he didn't tell him to do that. But he said that to this man because he knew that was preventing him from following him. And so he said, hey, you want to go sell everything? Follow me. And the rich man walked away sad. Jesus didn't say, hey, wait a second. I was just kidding. I mean, hyperbolic language, man. Come on. He didn't do that. He then turned to his disciples and said, how hard is it? for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? Everyone here is rich. Will you give up your possessions, whatever it is God is calling you to do, will you give it up and be all in or will you be that rich man and say, you know what, I'm only in if it's this much. I'm only in if it's, actually, I'm not willing to give up anything. My hope and prayer is that that would be none of you but that we would be a church full of people that no matter what it is Jesus calls us to do, even with our money, we're all in.